electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You want to know what works in this market? Figure out what millennials want and then give it to them. And that's what won today. Essentially, the Dow lost 97 points. It was up nicely at the open. The S&P declined 0.18%. The Nasdaq advanced only 0.06%. Now, it all started with the biggest tech deal we've seen in ages. Square is buying some Australian financial tech company, Afterpay, a buy now, pay later outfit, for $29 billion. $29 billion. Square owns many registers and has captured the hearts of millennials along with Gen X and, and Z with the uh, Cash App. It's wildly popular peer-to-peer payment service. The reasoning behind the deal was pristine. Buy now, pay later is a rapidly growing opportunity with a number of growth drivers, according to the release that they put out. Merchants embracing e-commerce use buy now, pay later to boost sales. More importantly, they cite consumer preferences shifting away from traditional credit as millennials and Gen Z consumers with growing spending power prefer more inclusive, flexible and transparent ways to pay. End quote. Woo. Given the interest charged by most credit card companies, I can't blame them. Square believes that of the $10 trillion in online payments currently, only 2% is buy now, pay later. They got a lot of room to run. In response, Square stock initially tanked. Nobody liked anything I just told you. Nothing. It fell 12 points, which, by the way, is a typical reaction to an all-stock transaction because the acquirer shares get hammered by arbitrage guys. But then the darn thing turned around and ended up rallying 25 bucks for more than 10% today to close at $272. You need to understand this almost never happens. In an all-stock takeover bid, the arbitrage pressure alone should be enough to keep your stock down. There are entire hedge funds that exist solely to do merger arbitrage. When you get a deal like this, they short the acquirer stock and go along the target. 
That's why Square got hit at first. It was just kind of another deal. Who cares? Oh, boy, how the stock ended up roaring higher then. I was watching the miraculous rally when I was sitting in Squawk on the street, and boy, it unfolded right in front of me. One research firm after another saying great things about the Afterpay deal. Plus, the company reported the results early, and they were quite impressive. They were supposed to report later in this week. Now, I can go through all the positive research coverage, but I'm just going to read you one clincher. JMP said, and I quote, no premium looks too high for BNPL. I know, pay later, end quote. Because it strengthens square consumer and merchant, are you ready? Ecosystem. Thanks to the Afterpay deal, Square can compete with its two main rivals, the pure player firm and its nemesis, PayPal. I immediately asked Square's redoubtable CFO, Amrita Ahuja, why not just buy a firm, a pure buy now, pay later play that was on uh, earlier this, after, this uh, evening. She shot back that Afterpay has higher growth with no interest payments, just a late fee, not to mention a global footprint with half its business outside the U.S., and the deal is extremely additive to Square's growth. She said a firm had none of that. She followed that up with an interview on Squawk on the Street, basically repeating these advantages, and then the stock was off to the races. Ahuja, not Jack Dorsey, is the true spokesperson for this company, just like the predecessor is CFO Sarah Fryer. It's a highly unusual position, but CEO Dorsey's got two publicly traded companies to run. He's also the CEO of Twitter, and he doesn't make himself available to the press at all. To me, this is all about a firm and PayPal. One other buy now, pay later from called Klarna, K-L-A-R-N-A. That's a private Swedish alpha with 90 million customers. I met them 10 years ago. I like them. Set at 75 million more, by the way, than Afterpay. They're all chasing the same consumers, the millennials, Gen Z. In fact, Klarna, PayPal, Affirm, and now Square are the big four in the space. Get to know this. All these stocks are beloved by institutional investors who don't have enough ways to play the enormous under-30 demographic. And when Klarna comes public, I'm sure it'll be worth well more than Afterpay because it is so much larger. Now, here's what's so weird about this. These buy-now-pay-later companies, they're totally unregulated. They can pretty much do whatever they want financially, and they tend to uh, cater to a less wealthy clientele. Some people call that a subprime clientele. In that sense, they're the exact opposite of the major banks, which love rich customers and are heavily regulated because they're depository institutions. Because PayPal and Square don't have deposits, they have a lot more freedom to lend money to people and businesses that have worse credit. Subprime. Keep thinking about that. What else lets you invest in the younger demographic? Well, look, we know that they like cord cutting. Cable's too expensive. That means Roku. Companies let you stream video directly to your TV. It means DoorDash for food delivery. They're, like, they're lazy. Just kidding. But they like it at home. And it means Chipotle because that's who goes there. Well, I mean, some of us go there, too, but take a look. Plus, uh, can we not forget one that everybody's already written off? Can we not forget Robinhood? I know last week's IPO could be considered a bust because the stock dropped below the offering price. I heard everybody say they wrote these guys. I was like, you know, you only can use one finger at a time. That's something you learn in the business. Yeah, this is the magic show business finger. But anyone, anyone who's writing Robin Hood off simply doesn't understand, not Vlad Tenev, but his customers, young investors. These people worship Robin Hood. Even when Wall Street was laughing at CEO Vlad Tenev and his company's capital problems, the first time the meme stocks took out, uh, off the new signups, uh, the new signups, they never stopped. Go, go back and look at what happened in January, the first week of February, second week of February, third week of February. Believe me, if Robin had gotten in real trouble, the major brokerage firms never would have reached out to do this deal. They know this truth. You can't get these younger investors the way traditional markers work because so many of them hate 
traditional finance. Oh, they don't trust banks because they know they aren't big enough to be taken seriously. They don't trust credit cards because they think of them as extortion. They don't trust traditional brokerage houses because they don't like being condescended to. Now, I'm not saying all this is strictly true, but it's something lots of younger people believe. And uh, by the way, not without reason. Uh, My wife, who has a successful real estate career, she got booted from the wealth division of a major firm because she hadn't saved up enough money in her account to qualify. It hurt and she couldn't believe how devalued she felt. She's not alone. For people who came of age, whether uh, during or after the financial crisis, it's taken as a given that financial institutions will treat them with contempt. They love the concept of Robinhood because it gave away brokerage services at a time when others in the industry were still charging commissions for trades. In the end, everybody else had to follow suit, and they upended the entire industry. As Robinhood branches out into other forms of finance, including, I believe, uh, buy now, pay later cards, uh, I, I think this army of 22 million users will grow and become more powerful. That's why I'm telling you that Robinhood can be bought here. That's right. I'm blessing the stock. If Square can rally 10% on this afterpay deal, imagine what Robin could do if they acquired someone else in the industry. Think of Firm. The stock would soar. Now, I know some of these companies are more tangential to the point I'm making, like Chipotle, Roku, and DoorDash. But the strength of their stock shows you how companies that target young people have scarcity value as investments. That scarcity value has allowed them to surge higher at a tremendous velocity. But what matters with Square is that it's got the ecosystem covered, as does PayPal. I think Robinhood could be next. Is there any company in the financial establishment the firm make the scheme come close? I can only think of one, American Express, which is tons of millennials signing up as part of an aspirational move. Well, there's just one problem. Amex is more tailored to the aspirational and the wealthy. But millennials and Gen Z, they don't have enough money. The bottom line, buy now, pay later is a necessity if you are a millennial. And if you are a millennial, Wall Street wants to follow companies that cater to you. Oh, and what what happens if one of these buy now, pay later companies merges with Robinhood to reach unreachable, grow into an alternative financial services powerhouse? I think you have another square in your hands. And I personally would love to have another square on my hands. Can we please go to Joe in Texas? Joe! Booyah, Jim Barini. Yo, man. What's shaking? Not much. Last week, Simone Biles said she was dropping out of the Olympics, but today she said she was going to get back in the Olympics. She's sponsored by Athleta, a Gap brand. And also... I was wondering if you thought that was maybe a buy, sell, or hold well, on tell you, Gap I think the, the fundamentals will prove out that Gap Stores is a good stock, and I like it, and I think you should buy it. I need to go right now to John in Kentucky. John! Hey, Jim. First of all, I'd like to thank you for all the help you've been to us little guys. I don't know anybody out there uh, on the networks but you. You're uh, great. You're, uh, oh, thank you. Thank I've been you a long much. time. Yeah, I've been a long-time listener, 13, 14 years, ever since your they-know-nothing rant about the, the, the Fed. I have uh, to tune in and hear. So, <laughs> that's right. right. And they don't always. Uh, anyway, my question's about Skyworks Solution. It was down 8 or 9% on Friday after it reported the evening before. That quarter was good. You know, John, that quarter was good. And I, I'm, not go, I'm not backing away from, from, uh, from Liam Griffin. It was good to the point where I was thinking about it with, uh, with uh, Jeff Marks and Zeb FEMA today about whether we should make it an action alerts thing. And Jeff and I were going back and forth. We already have a uh, broadcast. But wow, that was a good quarter. And don't let anyone tell you not. All right, follow the millennial money. That's what's working in this market. And it's the reason why Square rocketed higher when it's acquisition of buy now, pay later outfit after pay. Well, man, tonight from Snap to Facebook, I'm updating my status 
on the social media stocks that you care so much about and share what you need to know about space. Then the Dow and S&P 500 lost steam during today's session and several signs point to continued weakness, at least for the month of August. So could now be the time to add some protection to your portfolio in the form of gold? I'm going off the charts to find out. And there's a new plan for new brands, and I'm finding out from the CEO if the maker of Sharpie could make for a sharp investment. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This has been a real roller coaster ride of an earnings season, hasn't it? Especially for the social media stocks. A couple of weeks ago, things started off very strong when Twitter and Snap both soared after putting some excellent numbers. Then last week, Wall Street started taking a more skeptical attitude to quarterly reports. When Facebook reported some pretty strong results, the stock gave up the ghost anyway. Then when Pinterest delivered a confusing quarter on Friday, well, the stock plummeted 18% in a single session. So how the heck do we make sense of this disparate reactions? I mean, how are Twitter and Snap doing so great and Pinterest falls apart and Facebook can't get any respect? Why don't we take them one by one, starting with Snap, the parent of Snapchat. This quarter was so spectacular that it sent the stock up nearly 24% the next day. If you didn't know better, you would have thought Snap caught a takeover bid. 
And hey, it makes sense. When you're running a social media company, you've got two main goals. Grow your audience and find ways to make money off them. Snap knocked it out of the park on both counts. First off, coming into this quarter, there was some concern that Snap's growth may slow, well, substantially, as the economy reopened. However, Snap's daily active users actually grew to 293 million. That's a 5% from last quarter, 23% from last year. Uh, that's only a slight slowdown from the number of new additions at the height of the pandemic. So it's not a pandemic play. Even better, in terms of monetization, Snap's average revenue per user was much better than expected, especially in North America, where we have some of the highest vaccination rates on Earth. In other words, rather than being hurt by the great reopening, Snap's making a fortune of it. No one saw that coming. That's because it's a terrific value proposition for advertisers. Remember what I said at the top of the show? They need to reach a certain demographic, especially now that the travel industry has started spending money on marketing again. That's perfect for them. All of this translated into a quarter with some stunning headline numbers, with sales coming in much better than expected, 116% year over year. Yeah, 116%. Snap was earning 10 cents per share. What was Wall Street looking for? How about a one cent loss? As for the next quarter, management gave very encouraging guidance. Best of all, they told an amazing story on the conference call. Snap is a company that spent years getting its act together. By 2019, they finally improved the platform enough to make a phenomenal comeback. And that comeback's been aided tremendously by the pandemic. But based on these results, it looks like Snap can keep delivering great numbers, even when the world goes back to normal. Although based on what's happening with the Delta variant, we might want to put a pin in that. Put it all together, and I think the stock's got more room to run, especially since I'm, it, it's pulled back a few bucks from its post-earnings highlights. Now, I, I, from the, that high, it was really extraordinary. I think it's a good buy here. Oh, by the way, I, let me just cut to the chain. I am actually looking forward to the day that Evan Spiegel comes on the show. He's the CEO. Uh, we've been up big ever since I got behind him, and I know that my executive producer, Regina Gilder, and I share the desire to have Evan on. So far, unrequited, I must add. On the same night we got results from Snap, we also heard from Twitter. Hey, this was a terrific quarter, although it was less jaw-dropping than Snaps, which is why the stock only rallied a couple of bucks. Because Twitter is a more mature company, we care less about the user numbers here and more about the actual financials. That's why Wall Street didn't really mind that Twitter's monetizable daily active users, DAUs, came in a tiny bit light at $206 million. That's up just 11% year over year. I'll take it. What matters is that Twitter sales came in higher than expected, and they posted a 13-cent earnings beat off a seven-cent basis. When you drill down, there were some very impressive numbers here. The company's U.S. advertising revenue is up 98% year-over-year. Twitter's been focused on improving its monetization for over a year now, ever since the activist investor at Elliott Management, once they got involved. And this time, they really delivered. Uh, and I, I, hats off to Ned Siegel, the CFO. I mean, it was really good. On top of that, the revenue guidance came in a lot better than expected. You know, it also doesn't hurt that Twitter keeps working on new features like live audio, super followers, the tip jar. And soon, perhaps most important, shopping functionality, where you'll be able to buy products directly from a brand's Twitter pitch. Now, this could be their biggest initiative, but too few people are paying attention to it. I think they've got a real good business, and the stock is a bright future. Okay, how about the one that's kind of a, it's a real quandary. We're going to explain it. Facebook. This stock pulled back after earnings for one simple reason. The expectations were just sky high because it's been such a fabulous performer. So when Facebook reported a terrific top and bottom line beat, 56% revenue growth, 101% earnings growth, Wall Street barely batted eye. I was like, eh. Instead, they only focused on the cautious guidance from CFO David Winner. I got I to meet that guy, get him to like, focus. And look, I get it. Winner's not into hand-holding. Oh, he's, you know, he's, into, he's into hand-smashing. He came out on the conference call and he said, and I quote, we expect year-over-year total revenue growth rates to decelerate significantly. 
on a sequential basis as we lap periods of increasingly strong growth. Then it got worse. We continue to expect increased ad target targeting headwinds, headwinds in 2021 from regulatory and platform changes. Decelerate is bad. Significantly decelerate. Ouch. And that's why many investors figured this, this latest quarter is as good as it gets from Facebook and the stock sold off. Oh, contraire, partner. I think if you listen to the rest of the conference call, there was a lot to like. Management told you about their new focus on content creators and video. We heard some terrific stuff about their commerce business. Facebook and Instagram shops. Boy, I love those. Who came up with that? Where they're becoming an essential part for small business. Oh, and by the way, don't you dare sniff at the Metaverse project. It's real. My view. Don't ever think it. Facebook is by far the cheapest of the social media stocks. It's actually one of the cheapest stocks in the entire S&P. Well, it's the entire market. Even if the growth slows substantially, the darn thing would still be a real, just a steal here. It trades at just 22 times next year's earnings estimate. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Okay, finally, there's the toughest one. Pinterest, which you know I like. It had been on fire going into last Thursday night's earnings report. And remember, there have been rumors that Microsoft wanted to buy them. But then Pinterest dropped the ball, and it dropped the ball pretty stiffly, and the stock plunged 18% the next day. What went wrong? First of all, they're losing their audience. Pinterest monthly average users shrank by 5% versus the previous quarter. Came in at $454 million. Nando's looking for $481 million. Suboptimal. On top of that, management told you it's only going to get worse. On the conference call, they said, and I quote, engagement headwinds have continued in July. End quote. Boy, we, we got so many headwinds. We don't need a weatherman to know it's where the wind blows. Through July 27th, monthly average users were down 7% in the U.S. because the environment's so uncertain. They refuse to give you any guidance on their user count. That's the responsible thing to do, but Wall Street hates not having a forecast. It's a shame because the sales and earnings were actually amazing. Pinterest actually had the best revenue growth in the group, up 125% in terms of profitability. They're second only to the behemoth that is Facebook. None of it mattered, though, because the monthly average user numbers made Wall Street feel like Pinterest was a hobby that people picked up during the pandemic, then dropped as society started to reopen. I think that 18% decline was probably uh, way too excess- excessive. At these levels, the stock has been de-risked. But at the same time, I am wary of recommending Pinterest until they show us their user growth is back on track. So for now, we got to put this one in the proverbial penalty box. Plus, man, oh, man, have they junked that site up with ads. It's painful to scroll. It's one of the worst ones I go to. Here's the bottom line. Now that we've heard from all the major social media plays, I think Snap is the best for pure growth, okay? Facebook is by far the best way to get value or at least growth at a reasonable price. Twitter falls somewhere between those two, which is why it's between those two. And uh, it's, uh, Twitter's real good. As for Pinterest, I wouldn't call it a lost cause. But I'm betting it'll be range-bound until they make the user experience better. And then at last, the audience will stabilize. Stable quickly. Just in time for the Olympics, is it time for investors to go for gold? Kramer's going off the charts to find out if the precious metal could keep running and find a place on the podium and in your portfolio. Next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. 
It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Now that we've closed the book in July, we need to figure out where this market is headed in August. Even though we've got a bunch of big-picture macro worries, from the Delta variant spreading like wildfire to our government hitting the debt ceiling to the Chinese government's increasingly arbitrary crackdowns on big business, well, that hasn't stopped the averages from continuing to roll higher. But you've got to wonder if this rally might be poised to run out of steam, right, or at least take a temporary breather. And that's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Larry Williams. Oh, he's a mythical figure in the world of technical analysis. Uh, uh, He's been trading stocks, futures, commodities since I was a kid. He's written more than a dozen books and created a host of indicators that we use all the time. Plus, for a year and a half, he's made a series of incredible predictions, starting with his brilliant contrarian call in the spring of last year, when he told us the economy would start rebounding by mid-May at a time when pretty much everybody else thought the, uh, well, let's just say the sky was falling. So what does he see going forward? I want you to take a look at this daily chart. We've got a series of difficult charts, but we'll go through them. Daily chart of the S&P 500. Williams is the master of spotting all sorts of cycles, including seasonal patterns. That's why this red line is the seasonal pattern for the S&P. That's pretty obvious, right? It shows you typically what happens in the month of July and the month of August. Historically, August usually gets rolling with a sharp decline. Uh-oh. Followed by temporary bounce with the market uh, finishing lower than where it started. Williams says that's the expected roadmap, although obviously these seasonal patterns can't pre- perfectly predict the future. But they're right more often than they're wrong, which is why we need to pay attention to them. Of course, it's not just seasonals. I want you to check out the zoomed out daily chart of the S&P 500. What bothers Williams here is that he's seen some signs of weakness developing right as we enter a seasonally difficult period. Okay, and then once again, you can see what's happening. Uh, the, in blue, you can see the advanced decline line. All right. Uh, which measures the number of stocks going up versus the number going down on a daily basis. Every day you add or subtract the difference. Basically, it shows you the market's breadth. And according to Williams, it's painting a disturbing picture right here, right now. Just since the beginning of the summer, he can point to three moments when the S&P rallied to higher highs, but the advanced decline line failed to make a higher reading, meaning the market went up on not-so-hot breadth. For Williams, that's just lots of big money managers must be selling many of the positions. He says he's seen this pattern before, and it's not healthy. Normally, when stocks rally, the advanced decline line should be making new highs. But that's not happening, and it means this move could have feet of clay. So this is going down. You would have expected it to go like that. Well, actually, you wouldn't have expected it to go down like that. would be more like it. All right, next, consider the S&P's daily action compared to the on-balance volume. This is a cumulative indicator that looks at volume flow, adding the volume on up days, subtracting the volume on down days. Williams points out that we've seen this pattern here. The S&P makes new highs, but the on-balance volume stays flat, okay? That's another negative. Remember, for technicians, volume is like a lie detector. When it's weak, that means a move is deceptive. One more reason Williams is worried about the rest of a seasonally challenging month. Oh, over the last few days, he's noticed something else. We're seeing what Williams calls a specialist trap. 
This is what happens when prices are tra- trading sideways, then break out to a new high like we saw last Thursday. But then immediately the security in question rolls over and violates the daily low uh, from the uh, day of the breakout. That's exactly what happened. And according to Williams, this pattern often leads to significant declines. That's not good. By the way, the specialist trap occurred near the peak uh, last year, right? As everybody started worrying about COVID. Obviously, COVID trumped anything, but, you know, no one predicted Trump from the charts. No one predicted Trump from the charts. No one predicted the uh, COVID from the charts. But you can see what I care about is this reverse. Okay? This is lower than that. That's what you need to know. All right, now, we're not done. For the moment, Williams is concerned about the S&P 500. Full disclosure, he's got a small short position in the S&P E-mini futures. But if August is, st- is set up to be a tough month for the stock market, is there something else that might work instead? Well, right now, Williams is long gold for precisely the same reason he's worried about the S&P. It's a seasonal pattern. Now, I want you to look at this historic seasonal pattern for gold in the month of August. Pretty obvious, right? This tends to be a terrific time of the year for precious metal. Uh, typically, it almost goes straight up. Williams points out that gold usually makes its monthly low in the first few sessions of August. Right now, with a high coming in the last few sessions. Even though it's already been running of late, he continues that run. To, he expects that run to continue. This is a uh, well-worn chart, let's say that. Again, though, there's no guarantee these seasonal patterns will play out the same this year. That's why Williams likes to look for deeper conditions that confirm these patterns, like the warning signs he spotted in that S&P 500 stuff. So let's take a gander at Gold's weekly chart going back a few years. Here you can see the seasonal pattern in blue, okay, uh, and Larry's valuation model down below. Uh, that's in black. He likes to compare commodity prices to the price of treasury bonds. That's what this really is, okay? And that's what his valuation model measures. It's the spread of the difference between gold and treasuries. As you can see from the chart, not only does the precious metal have a powerful seasonal trend in its side, and that's this, okay? We'll get this. This is really very significant. So we go in jelly. This, it's extremely undervalued versus the bonds, okay? Oh, I really like this. But finally, here's the same chart with the data from the Commodity Futures Trading Commission's weekly commitment of traders or COT report. We love this data because it tells you the net positions of all the major players in each commodity market, from small speculators to big money managers to commercial hedgers, the actual producers and consumers of each commodity. Williams has been using this data since 1973. He kind of really pioneered using it, frankly. Uh, and you can see... Well, the red line at the bottom shows the net position of commercial operators. Historically, their buying and selling has been a pretty accurate predictor of where gold is going. Why does it matter? Because lately, commercial hedgers have been aggressively buying gold futures with a large net long position. And if you look at the past action, Williams points out that heavy commercial buying almost always leads to a nice rally. Okay, so you've got gold and black, and you can see we get commercial buying and get a rally. Okay, so you're going to see some commercial buying and get a rally. Uh, Here's the bottom line. The charts as interpreted by the legendary Larry Williams suggest that August could be a tough month for the S&P 500, but a terrific month for gold. Given the big ba- uh, picture backdrop right now, that wouldn't surprise me one bit. Remember, during the original debacle ceiling, uh, the original debt ceiling debacle a decade ago, the stock market broke down. And what happened? Gold did great. Ray in Florida, Ray. Hey, Kramer, how are you? I am good. How about you, Ray? Good, good. Man, I've been a long-time watcher. I love your show, Kramer. Thank you. Thank you very much. What's going on? Hey, Kramer, I had a question about Cleveland Cliffs. Sure. 
Um, a couple, about six, seven weeks ago, you said that it was ready for its next leg up. Um, they paid down about $1.2 billion in debt, and um, they're uh, doing more share buybacks in the future. This is a company generating a billion dollars of free cash flow per quarter and will be a huge beneficiary of infrastructure spending. What do you think about CLF? I like CLF. Nobody seems to like it except for me and the CEO. I think they're doing terrifically. And let me just say, I do own Nucor, which is, I think, a better company for my ActionAlertsPlus.com club, of which you can subscribe and see every move I make before I make it. Phil in Alaska. Phil. Yeah. Hi, Jim. How are you doing? I am good, Phil. How about you? Great. Great summer day. Oh, isn't it? Yep. Say, I called because uh, I was. Uh, I'm still uh, interested in MP Materials Corp, and uh, I know that they're uh, going to report earnings on Thursday. And I was wondering if you had any uh, last-minute advice for well, me. Well, I think they're making a comeback. They got caught in the big downturn for the SPACs, and they had some insider selling, which was understandable given the fact that everyone's been illiquid. Uh, if you like, if look, if you like raw materials and rare earth, it's still the play. Um, let's go to. Uh, Rambo in California. Rambo. Booyah, Jim. This is Booyah. Rambo from San Jose. All right, man. What's shaking with you? Jim, you're, you're one of the best teachers I've ever had. Oh, you thank so you much, so much. So thank, thank you for that. You. Thank you. Jim, Jim, I have a position in an industrial that is a play on the worldwide push to reduce diesel emissions, the national need to increase trucking, and the company has a hydrogen kicker. The stock has a $280 price target from analysts giving it a potential 20% upside, a 14x4 DPS multiple, and pays a 2.5% dividend. Unfortunately, I'm down about 10% over the past uh, few months because of supply chain and inflation mm-hmm. concerns. Wrong the company materials. announces results tomorrow morning. What should I do with my position in Cummins? Okay, Cummins is going to be like Caterpillar. People threw it out. They didn't like the number, so they started all sorts of negatives. And then you went in and buy it, bought it. So I think you got to wait to see the quarter. People probably don't like the quarter, and the stock gets hit, and then you do some buying. Although it's been a little prepped by the fact that Cat had that disastrous, not real disastrous, but Jim Mumblebee came on the show. We straightened everything out. The sales are good. The charts suggest that the round the SP 500 could soon run out of steam, at least for the month of August. Gold, on the other hand, could be ready to shine. Much more made money yet. Could the maker of Mr. Coffee be the jolt your portfolio needs? I'm checking in with Newell Brand CEO, fresh off of earnings. Then, after that DD fiasco, should investors continue to look for opportunities in other Chinese stocks? I hear a lot of managers that are doing so, but I'm going to issue some warnings ahead of some key reports. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Cost pressures. We've seen company after company report great quarters, only to have their stocks just get clobbered by worries about inflation. I want you to take Newell Brands, okay, NWL. That's the house of consumer brands across all sorts of categories that you know very well. Think Rubbermaid, Papermate, Sharpie, Expo, Elmer's, Coleman, Marmot, Mr. Coffee, Ball Jars. Follow me on Twitter. And Yankee Kittle. When Newell reported last Friday, the headline numbers were fabulous. It was a clean top and bottom line beat. Real strength for most of the biggest brands. However, management's guidance spooked investors. Even though the sales, were, sales forecast was strong, it was the margins. The margins and earnings forecast, they were disappointing. And that's why the stock tumbled 9% on Friday. Wall Street's worried that inflation is going to hit the company's bottom line. 
I got to wonder if the stock's already been punished enough, especially since the sales are very strong. So let's check in with Ravi Salagram. He's the president and CEO of New Brands. He's reinvigorated. I like that. You get a better read in the quarter. What's going on, Mr. Salagram? Welcome to Mad Money. Jim, what a pleasure and honor it is for me. I have admired you for so long, and to be on your show is just an incredible thrill for me. Well, Robbie, you're very kind, and I've got to tell you, you know that I've always had a great relationship with your company, and you have really reinvigorated it. It seems like when I look at the pastiche of brands you have, it is uniquely suited for an era where we love being at home. Indeed, Jim, I think what is happening right now, uh, and it started with COVID, and I predict it's going to continue, home is truly the hub. The home has gone from sort of being a passive place where people went home to rest and relax to an active place. It can be your office. It can be a learning zone for your kids. The kitchen is becoming the central place for the family to congregate. And then the living room and family room to relax, recharge. And we have the brands. So whether it's Yankee Candle, you know, Yankee Candle Gym is actually becoming a transition product. From the office space to the living room, change the ambiance, get a glow, change your mood. Cook up a storm in the kitchen with Oster, with Calphalon, and store away with Rubbermaid. I think we've got it, and home is the hub, and we're really capitalizing. And it's not going to go away just because COVID goes away. We hope COVID goes away. Uh, But I think these trends, the fact that there's going to be a hybrid working model still, with a third of the people, I think our brands are poised to really win in the future. And we have really turbocharged the innovation machine, Jim. But let's talk about what people have said about cost pressures. I am of the opinion that what must go up, what can go up, can also go down. There's no reason for me to think that these commodities are not going to be the same as they've always been, sir, which is that the new factories open and the price comes down. There is nothing, nothing that's not transitory about a lot of your costs. Yeah, I think, Jim, the uh, look, we did say $560 million of inflation for this year, uh, went up $200 million versus three months ago. Lot, that's resin prices, mm-hmm. uh, there's trans- ocean freight, labor costs, and some of these are transitory. I don't think resin prices are going to remain high. In fact, we thought it'll probably start peaking around the third quarter. Oh, ocean I, freight I totally at some agree. point in six months will settle down. Okay, now let's go to your conference call. There's a paragraph that you say, our strategy, strategy is to ensure that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Sir, I question that. I look at the unbelievable brand that is Coleman. And then I look at this new brand that is Yeti. They're almost evil. How can, your whole company is worth about the price of Yeti. Now, what am I missing? I think uh, great admiration for uh, what Yeti has done, but Coleman is an iconic American brand, 120th anniversary, Jim. Okay, over time, we had neglected it a bit. Right. But boy, are we coming roaring back with in, uh, innovation on it. Our Skyger Dome tents, five minutes, even a klutz like me can pick it up and put up a tent. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's got enough headroom. And we're coming up with a nice, fashionable set of soft coolers, great steel-belted coolers. So I think... Innovation is back on Coleman. This whole one-source product, which is rechargeable. Right. Uh, I think Coleman brand, unfortunately, you know, in the past, some of this got neglected throughout the company. 
But we're putting a major focus on the consumer right. and meaningful innovation. Now, can I take a look at that candle business and double down? We had a nest on recently. I mean, geez, you got to add that. And you, private equity will buy between private equity and SPACs. They'll buy all the stuff you don't want. How about a little uh, a reshuffle here to give you the growth at, without the inflation? Come on, let's do it. <laughs> uh, Jim, I love our candle business. I think that has so much growth potential. And I think what our team there has really reignited is it's not just candles, Jim. It is really about uh, there's so many opportunities, diffusers, wax melts, yes. sprays, auto, the sky. I, I lo- and that's a high gross margin business and very profitable and look, that's very omni-channel because we sell direct to consumer, we sell in our retail stores, and then, of course, in all the big uh, mass merchants. So it's a great omni-channel business. Love that business. All right, one last one. I have the largest ball jar right here, the wide mouth. Now, I'm probably one of your biggest consumers of ball jars from a, from a point of view of home growing. Uh, they're hard to get. Finally, I've now got them direct to consumer. Is that how I should get them? Because when I go to the stores, they're always out of them. Yeah, Jim, I apologize for that. The demand for ball jars during this pandemic has just skyrocketed. And believe it or not, Jim, you're not the only one. There's the heavy user of ball jars. (laughs) They normally have 80 ball jars in their home. And we're getting there a lot of small businesses that use this. And now New York restaurants during COVID were using it out to using ball jars to pass out cocktails. A lot of people are using it not just for canning but to do storing other things All right, well, and we've created a stackable innovation to save 30 percent space we're working on a manufacturing capacity that's been one of the challenges we need more bull sir anyway, i'm so glad you came on the show i think your stock is ridiculously undervalued people worried about the resin costs you've really cleared that up i think they should be they should be thinking about the offense which is what you're playing i want to thank ravi sologram president and ceo of new bridge sir it was great to have you on the show same here, Jim. Amen. And thank you. And I appreciate it. Love your show. I oh, love you. Thank you so much. Guys, go to their webpage. It has all the brands. Tell me that they aren't through your every single part of your house has their brands, except for the stock, which should be in your portfolio. Man Money's back in for break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. And then the lightning runs over. Are you ready? Ski daddy, the light rail comes over. Let's start with Jack in Illinois. Jack! Hi. Um, my stock had 6% dividend since 2016. My stock is New York Community Bank. What can I say? It's got a good dividend, but it's got no growth. I prefer growth to dividend. Randy in New York. Randy! Hey, Jim. Big Staten Island booyah. And a new AA Plus member here. Oh, my God. Thank um, you for joining the club. What's going on? It's an honor to talk with you. My stock, I took a small speculative position in Coupang. Um, well, there's all the you Amazon, make it speculative. You understand. I actually really like the company very much. It is a gigantic company. And, uh, and the financials there seem very, very American-like. I need to go to David in Georgia. David. Hey, jo- hey Jimmy. How you doing? Pretty good, Dave. How are you? 
Good. I, I wanted to ask your opinion because I was in the opening plays and I um, the, the, the price action told me I had to be wrong. I was in Spirit Airlines Save and uh, I'm under the impression that we're actually going to be going through an slowdown in the industrial production. Going well, yeah, into I mean, I, the problem is this problem with Spirit. Uh, is that it's not a high-quality operator, and, and also uh, what we're looking for now uh, are companies that are about to get international with an opening. We don't really have them. I want to steer clear of this group other than Southwest. I know Southwest is not doing well, but it's the longer-term win. It's kind of like Nucor. You have to own the longer-term best of breed, and Southwest down here at 49 is very intriguing to me. Can I go to Ken in Florida? Ken! Good afternoon, Jim. Hey, Ken. Can you, you hear got? me? Yeah, I got you, Ken. What are you up to? Well, I wanted to ask your opinion on energy transfer. I remember, I think it was last fall, you were negative. Yeah, well, you know, I just, I don't like the group. Uh, the group is this uh, mass limit partnership. It's been a horrendous group for a very, very long time, of which ET is a big member of it. So I say, look, take some profits if you have them, but sell it. I do not like that management. There are others that are much, much better to buy. I need David in Maryland. David. Hey, Jim. David. Hi. Hi. This is this is David's mom. Here's oh, David. David's yes. mom. David's mom. How are you doing? Good. David has a quick question for you. Why not? Hey, Jim. Do not. Me, David's a motor. Kids got horses. What's going on? Uh, I just wanted your opinion on Plug Power. I think they report next, you know, they report soon. Plug Power's got to deliver the number, David. And I don't, I hope they don't hurt you and do not let you down, as they have in the last few times. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. After the Chinese government's crackdown on tech, the service industry, education, and more, should investors be leery of the next regulations coming out of the People's Republic? Kramer's giving his take on the impacts of the rulings and whether or not more crackdowns are ahead. Next. Don't delude yourself about the business situation in China. Chinese stock apologists are suddenly out in full force. And their arguments? They're nuts. They look at the DD Global situation, the Chinese Uber that got kicked off every app store in China a few days after its US IPO, and they simply say, oh, DD was already in trouble with the authorities, so I mean, what's the big deal? Uh, they look at the, t- the tutoring stocks, the, the for profit enterprises that the government just turned into nonprofits and dismiss it as an, an aberration. The apologists act like we're crazy to be surprised. I mean, of course China had to crack down on private tutoring. I mean, it's a communist country, for heaven's sake. To which I say, yeah, (laughs) that's kind of the problem. For 40 years, the Chinese government was communist name only. When Chairman Mao died and Deng Xiaoping took over, they started transforming the market economy. That's the Chinese people want to invest in. That's what you want. But you're fooling yourself if you think that China still exists. After decades of giving their businesses free reign, the Chinese Communist Party has decided to put big business in its place. I think this is just the beginning. Their government thinks capitalists have gotten too powerful, so they're changing course. But the apologists are in denial, frankly. They've mentally cordoned off the companies that are most likely to get in trouble, the ones that heighten class divisions, or make too much money, or make the population dumber at social media, or that work their employees too hard. Well, other than that, 
play, Mrs. Lincoln. I mean, it's all systems go. They want you in Alibaba, which reports tomorrow morning. They love Baidu, the Chinese version of Google that reports on the 12th. They think it's a layup. Oh, also, uh, Pinduoduo, an online technology platform for agriculture. I say, wait a second. We have no idea which kinds of companies the Chinese government will eventually target. None. That's their point. They don't want us to know. Do you really want to invest in a country that punishes business for making too much money? I mean, it seems kind of self-defeating, doesn't it? Right now, I see only one pattern. The Communist Party opposes the rich, the kleptocrats, plutocrats, and once their influence diminished, they look at this through the lens of class conflict, which means any business could be targeted. I knew those seven communist courses I took at Harvard would come in handy. At the same time, we got some slower economic data out of China this weekend, thanks to the Delta variant. I think they might need some kind of stimulus package to keep their economy from slowing too hard. Now, we spoke to the legendary Larry Williams for off the charts earlier, and he questions how well the Chinese Communist government is and their economy are really doing. He thinks it's not that good. Uh, it could get worse before it gets better. Unfortunately, we live in a global economy. There's a strong correlation between the two, two economies. So he predicts that we could get hurt by their slowdown, but more importantly, their slow, our slowdown is going to hurt them. Me, I'm deeply skeptical of the Chinese government and its defenders. They say the crackdown is over. I think this is merely a temporary interlude that's designed to suck foreign capital, like your foreign capital, back to the Chinese economy. And it's clearly working if money managers are already willing to come on air and dismiss the Communist Party's actions as being arbitrary, but somehow necessary. I heard this one. I love this. Authoritarian capitalism. Who comes up with this stuff? Throughout history, we've seen dictatorial regimes take tough actions. Then they let the smoke clear and make soothing noises, lure in more suckers, and they can then rip off. And that's where we are now. Oh, you can try to play, uh, play this period of calm. Yeah, I'm sure they'll have Alibaba report a good number. Who knows? But you never know when they're going to start cracking down again. My view, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on me. After what they pulled with DD Global and the tutoring companies, I think it's the height of irresponsibility to give Chinese stocks a second chance, even though Wall Street is embedded. They're in the same bed as China. They want that money. I don't know how much simpler I can make this. When explicitly communist government force for profit, forces for-profit companies to turn into nonprofits, it's probably not a safe place to invest your money. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.